Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Healing Uncensored Podcast. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a health and mindset coach for women with autoimmune disease just like you. I absolutely love helping you tap into your self-healing power, uncover the energetic side of healing, and release limiting beliefs around your body and your life. Think of this podcast as everything you wouldn't hear at your doctor's office. It's a place for empowered souls to move beyond food and heal themselves on a soul level. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Now let's begin. Welcome to part two of this mini-series on food anxiety. Today, I'm going to be chatting with my first guest, Molly Seifert. She is a health coach who coaches women on how to trust themselves around food again. And as you'll hear today, Molly's story really began with her own issues, specifically digestive issues like so many other women out there. Many of you probably can relate. So let's dive into this episode and see what we can learn from Molly. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you and just have a really raw, open conversation about food and food anxiety and how eliminations can be really helpful, but also that there can be some fear around them as well. And uh, I think when we first connected about this topic, I, I said it in a way that elimination diet gone bad. So I would love for you to start just by telling the audience a little bit about your own personal healing story. And you know, I, I don't even know the, the entirety of it, but I know that you've struggled with some digestive issues that then led you to experiment with elimination diets. So tell us more about that and, and how your healing story has kind of evolved and, and your journey. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, my healing journey really started with some digestive issues. Um, I think it was, I was in college and I just started to realize that like what was going on was actually not normal. And I thought it was for so long. Um, and I, so of course I went to a normal doctor and they diagnosed me with IBS, just like so many other people, just that kind of catch all, uh, diagnosis, which was fine. They gave me, uh, some medication, which I think looking back, I'm sure it was like an antispasmodic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it helped. I did feel better digestively. I was really struggling with like a lot of like gas. And then I was kind of like back and forth between like constipation and the other end. We're getting real, real right into it today. Yep. <laughs> but it's, it's something that so many people struggle with. So uh -huh. I'm sure no one's judging me. And if you are, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, but this is true. <laughs> Anyway, so they gave me an antispasmodic. I felt better, but I was like getting headaches and I like was restless and just like wasn't feeling good otherwise. Like my digestion started to feel a little bit better, but I was like, I just don't want to put up with this. I don't want to take medication for the rest of my life. And so I started to look into other ways to kind of figure that all out. So um, as I kind of like went through that, my boss at the time, her husband had celiac. And so that was kind of my like introduction to like the gluten-free world. And so she was gluten-free. She did not have celiac, but she had gone gluten-free as well and felt better. So she was like, why don't you start experimenting with this? So I went gluten-free and I felt a lot better, uh, but I wasn't like a hundred percent. I still was like not feeling awesome all the time. And so then I went dairy-free as well. So I was strictly gluten-free and dairy-free for probably... I would say probably three or four years, like pretty hardcore gluten and dairy free. And I was that person that like, I didn't have celiacs, but I was like super rigid about like cross contamination and like making sure that like literally every single thing was like a hundred percent gluten free when I really didn't have to. So that was kind of like the start of like my obsession around this, like just food in general, but it started with these food intolerances. So time went on, I kept being gluten-free and dairy-free, and then I went to grad school, and that's when kind of like my, <laughs> I'm calling it my quarter-life crisis just kind of like started happening. I was in grad school for something that I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. I had a relationship that was crumbling around me. I had like family issues that were crumbling around me. So it was just like very typical, classic quarter-life crisis. And the only thing I knew how to control at that point in my life was my food. So it started to get even more obsessive. Um, and at the time it wasn't like other food intolerances that kind of like happened later, but at the time it was like calorie restriction, constantly just obsessing about how clean my food was. If it was gluten-free again, I was like, I was like living with other people at the, at the time. And so I was like, so obsessed if they were like using my pots and pans or my Tupperware and like, it was looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like for not being a celiac, like that was kind of crazy. Um, if you have celiacs, totally different story. Like that stuff is important, right? Um, but I just got so obsessed with all of that stuff. And so that turned into kind of like disordered eating mentalities. I definitely, at the time, orthorexia wasn't really like a super recognized clinical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I did end up seeing a therapist and she didn't really diagnose me with anything specific, but looking back, I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure I was a clinical like orthorexia uh, state for sure. But definitely had those disordered eating mentalities that like I was trying to restrict my calories then to like 1200 calories, which 
is hilarious to me now looking back, but I think that's a common story for so many women. We think, oh, we need to restrict calories if we want to lose weight. And so we like take it to an extreme and 1200 for a 30 year old woman. I mean, I'm 30 now. I wasn't at the time. It was younger and even more active than I am now. Like that was not okay. Like I was running half marathons. I was biking to work. Like I was probably expending like 2,600 calories in a day. So it just, it wasn't enough. So I would go in this restrict cycle and then I'd go to a binge cycle. And with everything else that was going on, I just went into this like shame hole, this guilt hole of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to achieve these things that I want. And of course I attached these, these weight goals to being accepted and feeling loved and all of that stuff. And I think that's such a common story as we mistake these these fitness goals and these, these body goals for acceptance and love and belonging. And that's totally what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so eventually I did realize like, okay, what's, what I'm doing here is not okay. It's not normal. So I went to go see a therapist that helped. Um, I got myself out of that binge site or that restrict cycle. And I just actually straight binged for a while. And so I gained quite a bit of weight, but I know that that period was like so necessary for me because when you restrict so long and you feel so guilty about those binges, there is a period of time where a lot of people have to not restrict anymore and just give, give themselves what they were withholding for so long. And it was very healing. It was also really scary at the time because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight. I just don't feel really good in my body anymore. But eventually, because it's part of the journey, you kind of like, reach a point where you're like, okay, like I'm ready to like be a little bit more even keeled here. And so then that's when I started to kind of experiment with other foods and see what other food intolerances I had. So I was kind of getting away from some of that like disordered eating mentality, but there were still some like digestive issues that were going on. So I experimented with so many things. And I, at one point had this like crazy long laundry list of things that I was like, no, I just can't eat those things, you know? Um, I've done the whole 30, I've done sugar detoxes. I've, I did, a more recently did like a strict elimination reintroduction, mm-hmm. um, and didn't really actually get a lot of answers from it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm still like not feeling super digestively great. And I was talking to my doctor and I'm really glad I found him. He's like, he's a DO, but also like really into functional medicine. So he still bills insurance. I'm like so grateful I found him. And he was, was really open to talking about all these food intolerances. And it kind of clicked with me. He did mention stress. And I was like, I think I'm just freaking out way too much about these foods. And it's causing me to like not digest them well, because when we're in, when our body wants to rest and digest, mm-hmm that's when it it creates all those enzymes and hormones and stuff to actually digest things well. And I think I was preventing my body from fully getting into that state. And so I think that was the moment where I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this intuitive eating thing. I'm going to start just eating what I feel like I want to eat at the time and going into it without 
a like preconceived idea of what's going to happen after I eat it and instead just kind of like see what happens and be open to it like being a different outcome than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of foods, it like really helped. And for some other foods, I was like, okay, yeah, this definitely doesn't sit well with me. Um, or I just need to have less of it or whatever it is. So it's just kind of like finding that balance for me. But yeah, there were some foods that I was like, oh, wow, this like really actually doesn't bother me that much. Like even with gluten, like I can have like a piece of Ezekiel toast and be okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, what? I could have some gluten and be all right. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my, the, the long story of my long story. (laughs) And um, now I, I definitely still have some digestive reactions, but I, I think it's just like my mindset about it is different. It's just more of like a, oh, well, you know, I, I was with my family and enjoying the time and we had a good time and I enjoyed the food and now I am having some digestive issues today, but they'll go away, you know? And I think it is a bit different for people with auto, like very serious autoimmune conditions, of course, like there's going to be very specific things that just don't work for your body. But I think so many of us just kind of get so obsessed with those things as well. And it just manifests in in that digestive problem that you thought the food was causing. It's just a vicious cycle, so. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that so many people are going to relate to that. And I relate to it in many ways as well. Like this, like, even the beginning of like when I was in college and, and I'm like, okay, something's not right here. Like this, you think it's normal or you're just like, for me, I was like, oh, this is just a hangover or something. Like, <laughs> right. But it, it was not, and uh, then I, you know, went on this whole journey of finding out I have multiple autoimmune diseases, but uh, I'd love for you to to talk a little bit about, so elimination diet, and you did what sounds like kind of like self-guided version, but then like Whole30s, uh, you know, kind of like a microcosm of elimination diet as well, without the specific reintroduction phases and everything. So can you talk about what was good about elimination diet versus what was at least in mentally, like really challenging or made it was potentially like harmful for you. Mm, We're not like yeah. hating on elimination diets completely, but I think it's really important for us to bring to light that uh, there's benefit in doing the elimination diet, but there can also be some like just unintended, unexpected consequences where then you're so controlling over food. Uh, and in my case, I'm, th- I'm thinking about like even like nightshades that I eliminated for a really long time uh, because of the AIP or autoimmune paleo protocol. And then it was like all of a sudden my brain like just categorized all nightshades as like evil when they actually are not all evil, right? Yeah. And that's one food I've reintroduced and I've actually done completely fine with now after doing some healing in my gut. So what's your opinion on that? Do you feel like there can be like some pros and some cons there? Oh yeah, totally. So like I said, I've done a number of them and I think like first and foremost, making sure that your mindset is in the right space when you're going into these resets, I think so. And and a couple of clients of mine, um, I've kind of been like, hey, I don't think we're ready. I don't think our mindset is there yet. I think you're still so focused on weight loss or controlling your sugar addiction. Um, And that might not necessarily be the case for all the people listening to this type of a podcast, but so important to like 
go into it more of as like a student of yourself and your body than trying to control something. And so I think that is like first and foremost of like, this is truly just like being a scientist of like myself and my digestion and what's going on. And I'm just here to learn and take notes, not to control some sort of outcome. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's how I actually went into my like actual AIP reset, um, which was good. And I like during the entire thing, I just like didn't feel crazy. Whereas with some other resets, you know, earlier on, I just like felt like this crazy person, like I can't have these things. But with the AIP one, um, it was even more restrictive than Whole30 or a sugar detox. But I felt like it was, it was just a totally different mindset. I was like, I'm just learning about my body and what works for it and what doesn't. So I think that is first and foremost. And if you have some disordered eating mentalities, it's so important that you're seeking help before you do something like that. It's not that you can't ever do them. And I actually do think they give you so much good information. Um, but it's just so important that you're in the right headspace. And I think so many people are not. Yeah. And so many of those programs do like say like, this is not a weight loss diet. And so they're saying those things, but people don't really typically like look inside deep enough to like recognize, oh, I actually am doing this for weight loss. I need to hold off and work on those things first. Yeah. Yeah, I love how you said uh, you're just being a student of your body. I think that that is magical. I love that. Yeah. We, if we are all just listeners and students that we can likely gain so much more out of that experience than if we are just trying to control and micromanage. And Mm -hmm. I I know that that's like, I have that version of Sarah inside of me, which is like Sarah, the controller who wants to control everything. And, um, when you are talking about food and eliminating a lot of like even whole food groups, right. In order to heal your gut, uh, there can be this feeling of lack and of, uh, it's just lacks of the best word I have for it, I guess. And did you ever feel that feeling of lack around food when you were restricting and were there any things that helped you not feel like you were just in this entire state of lack while on an elimination diet? Yeah, I think I did. I didn't have that in the most recent one again, because I went in with that mindset, but in earlier whole thirties and especially like sugar detoxes definitely felt, I I remember so vividly, uh, the first sugar detox I did, like I felt like a straight up addict for like three days. I would wake up and be like, Oh my God, I need sugar. Like I just like literally felt like a crazy person. So definitely felt the lack there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think again, it just goes back to like, what are you trying to gain from these things? And is it, is it a sense of freedom? Is it a sense of self-trust? Is it like, what exactly you're trying to gain from those things and what can you do for yourself that doesn't involve controlling or micromanaging? Like, what can you do for yourself now before you try to do those things and working on those things first? Um, because then you're coming from a place of like, I, I've given, I've given myself permission to trust myself. I've given myself these things. I've given myself the abundance that I was seeking, Mm -hmm. um, without doing these crazy controlling things to try to get there in the first place. So yeah, yeah, I think I've, I definitely felt that lack, especially with it's, it's so, I like remember it so vividly that like desire and craving and craziness. And of course, yes. Is there like a, a physiological component to a lot of those things, especially sugar? Yes, absolutely. And 
And sometimes maybe it is necessary, but again, going in with, with the right mindset. And I think that abundance versus lack thing is, is really important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody or and probably also the, the women, the clients that you work with around if, if they're feeling kind of like they might be like in this orthorexia state or mm-hmm. they're having disordered eating now that they've done an elimination diet. So it sounds like, first of all, if you're considering it, go in with that really strong mindset and feeling of like abundance. And I'm just going to be the student of my body, but also for the people who are like in it and having these, now this really anxious, all these anxious thoughts around food, what, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would say get help. Like no matter how you're getting help, starting somewhere is better than nothing. Whether it's just going on Instagram and starting to follow people that are, that are in this same place, getting a, like, even if it's just an online community, um, I think that's really, really helpful. I was really lucky that my two best friends um, struggled with disordered eating in, in high school and then earlier in college. So I was kind of just talking to them about my life problems. And because they had gone through the same thing, they started to recognize things that I was saying. And so they helped me realize it, that that what was going on wasn't normal. And I was going down that path of disordered eating. And so I think it's just so, so important to ask for help. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to like people in your life, there are people in the world available to us because of this amazing thing called the internet that you can find a group of people that are supportive. And when you're ready, get professional help, whether that be, you know, a therapist or a coach, whatever feels comfortable to you. Um, I think there's a lot of different routes that you can go. But honestly, if, if there's some sort of like, mentality roadblock that you feel like is abnormal and you don't know how to overcome that obstacle alone. Mm-hmm. Most people can't really overcome that obstacle alone, truthfully. I mean, everybody needs some sort of help. Um, it's, it's so important to seek help. And it, it, it really helped me a lot, even though the first therapist that I went about that, I don't think was like the best therapist I'd ever seen. Um, but it was still so important for me to do that and just kind of start that journey and, and feel supported. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little too about, so you, you hinted at this in your own healing process about really there being a lot of emotional roots to the behavior around food and this that feeling of lack and constriction and control and how food can then sometimes replace like love in our lives and uh, these deeper, deeper layers that we might not see on the surface. So either in your own story or maybe even in some examples that you've seen in, in your own work and your own coaching, mm-hmm. how do, how is there actually some emotional roots in this whole process as well? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so, so important. And really, I think for everyone, I'm going to say that it boils down to shame and feeling like you're not enough. Like I honestly think that there's certain, and everybody's story is a bit different, but if we like boil it down to the core of it, there was something that happened in your life that you still feel shameful about, or that maybe it's still happening and you have created a story and other people have either added to it or maybe it was really just you creating it that somehow, somewhere, what you're doing, who you are is not enough. And whether that's, you know, you're not smart enough, you're not funny enough, you're not, like, it can be little things as well that just tend to, to manifest. Yeah. And I think that was like such a huge part 
of my story is that I was and still am a recovering perfectionist. Like I was just so hardcore that I had to achieve things. Like my, I felt like my worth was attached to achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it was very much so like my environment that I grew up in, not necessarily my parents. I think there was some component that they added to it. I, and I know my parents will probably listen to this. <laughs> so <laughs> they loved me hard for sure. But I was also, I also grew up in like a very competitive school system. Yeah. It was a very like highly ranked high school and I was smart and I was a smart kid. And so I got my validation and felt my worth through achievement. And eventually when that's all you focus on, and like I said, it's, I I don't think it was that there was a lack of love. I think my parents loved me hard, but for whatever reason, I focused on the achievement part and not necessarily the, we love you for whatever you do, Molly. You know, it was like, great job, you know, achieving this, like you're taking this many AP classes and whatever, like. So I just focused so hard on the achievement and the external validation of other people noticing my achievement. Um, And so I went to college, I got a job, I went to grad school, and then I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Like, I'm I'm not happy, but I've achieved all these things and here I am and and I'm not happy. And so again, I think the, the control with food I couldn't control anything else that I was, I thought that I was, that I should do again, like just thinking about like what I think people want me to do. Right. I like, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but have you heard of the term shooting on yourself? Shooting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I should, I should all over myself. Um, no more shooting yourself. Um, but I think I just like, it just, it's eventually it's going to implode. If you're focusing on external validation, like I was, eventually you're going to reach a point where you're not happy. And, and it's because you just, you've lost sight of who you are and you've created this being of what you think you should be. And that just wasn't who I was. Luckily for me, I don't think it was too far off of the, the path that I couldn't get myself back. And I don't think it really ever is too far off the path for anybody to get back. You just might need some extra help. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my story is that I just focus so hard on perfection and achievement and people pleasing that I never really took the time to become a student of me again, coming back to that. and like, what do I want? Like, instead of waking up and thinking, what do I want to create today? What do I want with my life today? I would wake up and think, okay, what do I, what should I do today? Mm-hmm. What, what do I need to do to achieve these things so that other people, so that I can meet other people's needs? Like yeah. it just, it just got into a dangerous hole, <laughs> but I think that's such a common story. It is. I'm, you're telling part of my story as well, really. Yeah. And um, I had to relearn, okay, how to replace shoulds with coulds mm-hmm. and I re- resonate so much with like okay achievement equals worth and mm. but that achievement doesn't equal happiness but I thought okay well if I feel worthy I'll be happy and so if as long as I you know build this amazing thing or score a bunch of goals in soccer games or get all the days <laughs> or whatever like then I will achieve something I'll be worthy and then I'll, I'll feel love and I'll be happy. And it just, like you said, it doesn't always work in that, that, you know, very, um, 
like pinpoint, I'm, I'm like seeing like attachments to each, each of these things that yeah. are not necessarily the path to happiness. And so then what happened for me was it was like, okay, here I am. I'm not achieving a lot, right? Like <laughs> type A, people pleaser, all of those things that you were describing, yeah. but then really unhappy. And, uh, then eventually just really burnt out too. Cause you're like, well then, okay, I just need to achieve more and then I'll be happy. Wait, okay. I'm not happy yet. I better achieve more. Then we'll be happy. And there's not a, a clear connection, at least in my body to achievement and happiness. And that was such an important lesson for me personally to learn, but also I had to redefine, okay, then what does, what is worthy is if worthy is not just achievement how can I look at a more holistic perspective of worthiness? And then also, like you said, ask yourself questions. What does make me happy? Because clearly this isn't working. So if there's somebody who is trying to reframe their mindset around food uh, and they're, they're stuck in some of these emotional patterns and maybe they're seeing themselves in your story and my story as well, how can they get a little unstuck out of that pattern? And, and how would you even redefine maybe worthiness for, for you as well? Yeah. Oh, so many good questions. I think to get yourself unstuck, you just have to start asking yourself new questions. And I think that's part of surrounding yourself in those communities where people are asking these questions. Um, this is totally a, a shameless plug, but I just wrote a journal guide because I felt like I just, I just did a journal guide that somebody else created. And I was like, oh my gosh, this would be perfect for people that are in that place where they're just confused about what's going on with food in their body and they're just like so obsessed. So I created this journal guide. So that's one way to do it if you're, if you want a journal or start listening to podcasts, you know, people that are talking about these things so that you can, because I think you're right. I think sometimes we don't really realize these things are happening and we're never going to realize them until we're exposed to them. So that's why I think this little mini series you're doing about this food anxiety is super cool because I think so many people don't realize it's even happening. That's so true. They're like, yeah. they, like you said, you're like um, restricting your calories or uh, in my case, like just labeling night, nightshade vegetables as like, I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, you're so zoned into like this specific set of rules and you want to follow the rules. You want to be perfect at following the rules that you forget to zoom out and be like, why am I doing this in the first place? Wait, wasn't this supposed to be a temporary thing? Not this thing that I do for my entire life. And you know, it's different in the case of like, uh, lactose intolerance with dairy or celiac disease with gluten, but generally elimination diets are not for years and years and years. Right, yeah. All of a sudden, though you're so zoned in that you're doing this for years and years and years, and you feel like you can never eat anything and probably, you know, I'm making the assumption here, but like probably aren't very happy and don't enjoy eating food. Right. So, how have you, were you able to like bring joy back to, to food, to in, like nourishing your body? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I've done. Um, one was I just got, I just made a list mentally about like all these food rules and all these things that I've done and just like looking back at that and like seeing all the rules and being like, Oh my gosh, like, wow, I had a lot of rules, even though I thought I was kind of like out of that diet mentality. I still had a lot of rules. I also asked myself, like, what foods was I restricting that I, like, actually really love? 
Like mm-hmm. what, what was I taking out that I love? So it was things like, I do like bread, but I actually don't really like eat it all, want to eat it all the time. So I reintroduced it and I felt super in control about bread. But like, if I want some avocado toast, I can, I will happily have some gluten-free toast with some avocado on it and like be so happy, you know? Um, one thing that I've recently reintroduced that it has not been quite as in control, full disclosure, is I restricted cereal. Like I love cereal. I don't know what it is about cereal. Um, but I haven't felt as in control with cereal as I did with bread and toast and stuff for some reason. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm finally, I feel like I'm kind of like coming out of that. I think you have to like reintroduce things and let yourself have it when you want it. Um, and I definitely did feel like before when I would have cereal, I would literally have, this was when I was like restricting it, telling myself I can't have it. But then of course, sometimes you say, okay, well, I just really want it. And I would like have like three bowls of cereal in a row. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't need to eat three bowls of cereal. I was clearly eating past my satiety cues. So now I'll just eat one bowl and be totally satisfied, but I'm having it like often, like mm-hmm. every day for like a month. Right. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Again, it's just like noticing, like, how do I feel after that? Do I feel full for a long time? Am I getting an energy slump? Um, I get a little, I haven't gotten this from cereal, but I get it. If I eat too much cheese, I'll get, um, this like eczema on my fingers. So I know like, so it's just noticing those kinds of things instead of just focusing again, like you said, so like zeroed in on the rule, take yourself back and look at like kind of the whole picture. Um, so I've done that kind of reintroduced things that like, I actually really love, you know, and just asking myself a question, like, do I actually really love eating this? Like maybe there's something that you're forcing yourself to eat that you just actually don't like. So you probably don't need to eat it. Um, And then lastly, one of the biggest things um, that's been really healing for me in a lot of different areas in my life is just recognizing that and accepting, giving myself permission to just do the best I can with the tools I have every day. And I think that was one big thing that I needed to recognize for myself and also towards others. I think perfectionists, we won't admit it, but we're also judging everybody else (laughs) because we're judging ourselves so hard. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of part of my healing journey over the last couple of years um, was that I just had to recognize that everybody's doing the best they can with the tools they have. And if you recognize, Oh, I'm actually not doing the best I can right now. If you have that mentality, you're so much more gentle to yourself. You're like, it's okay. It's all right that you weren't doing the best you can, but now you can like permission slip here, go do the best that you can with the tools that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been, I think that's a Brene Brown thing. I don't know if you're a Brene Brown fan. Yeah, I, love her. I freaking love her. Somebody asked me the other day if I could like have lunch with a celebrity, who would it be? <laughs> I said Brene Brown and they were like, who's Brene Brown? And I was like, oh boy. You need to know her. <laughs> you need to know her. Um, I think I was on a date. That date didn't work out very well, obviously. <laughs> if you don't know who Brene Brown is, this just can't work. Yeah, not a good partner. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I just, I think recognizing that we're all just doing the best we can with the tools we have has been just so healing for me. So yeah, that's kind of what I've done. Just started to ask different questions, reintroduce things that I love, because if, when you're restricting those things that you love, you're probably not feeling pleasure while you're eating. And I think that's the other thing that I realized too, I think eating became such a control thing and almost even a punishment thing um, as well, but also a numbing thing. It became all these things. And so the pleasure was totally taken out of it. 
And I think that people in that diet mentality and that restriction mentality think that eating food shouldn't be pleasurable. And that's just like so wrong. It really should be. It really should be. So I think that's been important for me. Mm-hmm. I relate to that in my own kind of sugar detox as well. So I've been, been it was a serious addiction, like you're saying too. Yeah. And over a year now, um, without any uh, like added sugar, even some high sugar fruits for my own personal, you know, healing reasons. And um, it was, oh, got like, I love sugar. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I love sugar, right? Like I love dessert. My my well, not my fiance, right? He he um, is not a huge sweets guy, and so like he'll have like a cookie every once in a while. But, like it's just not his thing. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I love like brownies and cake and and cupcakes and cookies. Like, I could go on and on. Yeah. So I haven't had any of that, and so what I had to do. I was like, okay, I'm not eating these things, but now I'm, I feel this lack again. I feel this like, almost just like resentment towards my body where it's like, why can't you tolerate sugar anymore? Like I'm angry at you. And so what I did was find some alternatives that were, I was excited to eat that felt like dessert that still felt like this, like just deliciousness. And, um, like that sweet treat, but without, so I use a lot of monk fruit when I like, not every day, but when I am having something sweet as a substitute. And then all of a sudden my body was like, it stopped like clenching and being pissed off on like me not eating sugar. And instead it was like, Oh, thank you for finding something that still brought me that emotion of like, I get this like sweet, you know, special treat without the thing that was really hurting my body and ha- and yeah. I need to reintroduce it someday, but it's just for me right now, sugar is not, not working with me. So oh. that motion came from finding the alternative. So yeah. I'd love for you to tell us too, Molly. Um, so if I were, if I were coming to work with you, uh, what does that look like? Do you, do you do like one-on-one coaching? Do you do group program? Where do you kind of start with people um, when they do come to you seeking help and support? Like you said, I think it's so important to have that sense of community or just like accountability partner or um, even just a friend, right? Like you said, you had those two friends that supported you as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I do one-on-one coaching right now. I'm hoping to eventually do group coaching, but right now I'm just doing one-on-one. Um, and so when clients come to me, they typically are just feeling crazy around food. They just are confused about what they should do. um, And they're just totally done feeling obsessed about food and their bodies and they just don't feel comfortable in their bodies. So um, I typically work with people for, it's usually been six months is usually kind of how it ends up happening. Um, And we just kind of, we start off by like working through their stories and what's going on. Um, I actually have had some people choose to do some sort of like elimination diet just to get kind of clear on what um, works for them and what doesn't. And other clients um, either haven't been ready to do that or it just doesn't fit into exactly what they need at the, at the moment. So it's all individualized. Of course, I do have like a structure of things that I think we should hit, but um, yeah, it's very, it's one-on-one and yeah, these women by the end are, you know, feeling a lot more comfortable around food. I think a really common story that I hear and was a common, uh, for myself as well, is that like you go to family parties and you just feel so anxious because there's a bunch of off limits food and 
And then it's starting to affect like your personal life. And I've had so many women be like, I just don't feel comfortable in my body. So now when I'm intimate with my partner, I'm like either like feeling like the lights have to be off or I just need to be under the covers or something and they just don't want that. Um, so this, it just, it affects so much, you know? And so I think the women that come to me are just tired of it impacting their lives so much. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things that one of my clients said was she just felt like she just opened up so much space in her brain for other things because now she's not thinking about food 24 seven. And I think that's just so powerful and exactly what I want for my clients because I felt the same way, so. I love that, yeah, because it can be all-consuming in your head. I've gone through those periods in my own elimination diet and healing where it's like, literally, I'm just thinking about either what I'm going to eat later or how I might not be able to eat wherever later, so planning ahead, and it was just like, I, I believe in planning ahead and like making food that makes you feel really good, but if it's consuming all of your time and your thoughts, like that's where, again, we want to zoom out and, and consider like, okay, why, like create some space for some other things like joy and love and all other types of abundance in our life. So I love that your clients were able to experience that through, through working with you. I'm glad you brought up that social part too. So maybe we can, uh, starting, starting to wrap up here, but uh, there's such a social component to eating, to food, right? Conviviality. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we especially are in the spotlight or the spotlight gets put on what we cannot eat versus what we can eat when we're in these social settings. Uh, how have you navigated that? And then how do you typically recommend your clients navigate that? Yeah. Oh, such a good question. I just look back. I have this story that I tell often that, so my family makes these things that we call stacks. Um, and it's literally like pancake stacks, but we like stack them with like a bunch of other foods. So one of our like classic ones is pancakes, uh, barbecue pork, candied apples, and like bacon or something ridiculous. And we just like stack these pancakes up and it's like this like big event. And when I was still kind of like coming out of this disordered eating thing, like I remember those days when we had stacks were like the most anxiety ridden days that I had during that time. It was just like, oh my God, this is going to be so many calories. There's, there's tomatoes in the barbecue sauce. It's nightshades. I can't eat that. Like it was just like, there were so many thoughts and I was just so anxious about it. Um, but everyone else was like having the freaking time of their life because we were having stacks. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. And we don't do it often, but it was just such an anxiety ridden time. So I totally, I've done, I've done all the things in those settings. I've not eaten any food. I've brought a vegetable per tray and just eaten vegetables. Um, so I, I, I get it. I get those people that are like really stressed in those situations. But um, what I typically suggest to clients is a couple of things. One, like bring a dish that you want to share that, that works for you and that you love. Um, and if you're comfortable just eating that and that's what you want to do when you get there, that works. Or if you get there and you see some things that you like really want to try, you can do both of those things. You can have your really nourishing dish that you know works for you and just have little pieces of some of the food um, that you really want to try and just be really present in the moment and enjoy those things. Um, or you can, if you're ready to just dive head in, for head first, whatever, um, just go and, and enjoy the food and see what happens. Again, be a student of you and focus. I think the key 
is to focus more on the conversations and the people and the, the community aspect yeah. um, than the food. And I think that's been so, so important for me um, in general, just, just focus on the conversations rather than the food. And of yeah. course, that's, that's easier said than done. It's easier for me now, but it's, been, it's taken me a while to get there. But the more you just you know, try a little bit here and there in terms of focusing on something else, it's gonna eventually create a new pathway in your brain that, okay, this party isn't actually scary. This is like, I get to spend time with my family or my friends or whatever it is. And if I have, if I have to eat food that I wouldn't normally eat and my stomach's a little bit upset tomorrow, it's okay. I had a great time and life will go on. So yeah, those are a few different tactics I, I use and I've helped coach my clients through. I love that you realize it and coach in a way, like a lens that everyone is different and we're all so unique and our needs are different and what we love is different. The foods that are going to support our body are different. Yeah. That, that's why I think working one-on-one is probably really beautiful for you and your clients because, yeah. you know, the, the, somebody listening today might uh, not resonate with like two of the tips you gave, but then one tip is perfect for them. Right. And then that's exactly what they need to do or are going to try. So that, that uniqueness I think is so important for all of us. And I've, I've seen that in my own healing as well. And uh, you just brought up memories for me too. I was thinking about how I, so I also stopped drinking alcohol last year. And I love wine <laughs> and I loved, I love social settings and that's changed a little bit with chronic illness, but I thought, okay, like none of this stuff is going to be fun anymore because I'm not going to have a drink in front of me. And, uh, so I've still gone to social settings and just not drank and completely surprised myself. I was like, oh, this was never about the alcohol or how many glasses of wine I'm going to drink this night. It's about connecting to these people. I was at a game night, like two nights ago, two nights ago, and just had a glass of water and still fully enjoyed the game. Right? Wow. It wasn't about the, the food we were eating or what we were drinking. It was just spending time with these people. So I'm glad you brought that up as well to just shift your focus and, and literally rewire your brain towards this is about connection to people. It's not just about the food or, or in my case, the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd love to share with the audience and also where can they find you? Yeah. So I think there are a couple things that you brought up that I wanted to kind of like re-hit on. One is that like, it's okay to like, food can be emotional and you can get like, and it's okay. Like if you feel like you want a sweet to like make yourself feel a little bit happy, that's okay. But again, I think it's important to like be a student of you. Like, is there something else that can nourish me and I would get just as much nourishment from that? Or is this just a little bit of the icing on the cake and that's all I need? So I think it's just so important to like ask those questions. So I just wanted to kind of like re-hit on that. It's like, it's okay. <laughs> food yeah. is supposed to be emotional. Food is supposed to be pleasurable and those things are okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I just also want to say that like, you're literally exactly where you need to be, wherever you are on this journey. I think that's one thing that has been so helpful for me, whether it's me building my business or me on this food journey or this wellness journey is like, I'm literally exactly where I need to be. So if you're struggling, you're literally exactly where you need to be. And that's okay. And it's totally fine that you're having a hard time and you've recognized it and you're going to be in a different place in a month or two months, or maybe you're going to be in the same place in a week, but no matter what, you're exactly where you need to be. And I think that's really important to remember if you're struggling that 
things will change over time and get better or or you might fall into one of those old patterns but regardless this is just a journey and you're doing the best you can with the tools you have so I think that's really important to remember so where can they find me so on Instagram at Molly Kate wellness that is my handle and then my website is just www.mollykatewellness.com so I'm about to launch that journal freebie so that will be on my link tree on my Instagram soon hopefully by the time this airs maybe that'll maybe give me some motivation to really get it out there um, I'm super excited about it I I had created some other freebies before but like I'm just like super pumped about this one because I've just I've gotten so much clarity from journaling recently that I just really hope I can bring some of this clarity to some people that are kind of in this confused space. So yeah, Instagram and my website are pretty much my, my two main hubs. So find me there. Awesome. Thank you, Molly. And I can't wait to see that journal guide as well. Like we were talking about earlier, we're so zoned into our rules and everything. It can be so helpful to, to zoom out. And I feel like that's exactly what that journaling and yeah. reflecting on yourself could bring to people. So thank you again for your time today. So glad to have you on. Yes, it was lovely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am beyond honored to hold this space for you, to create this content for you, and to stimulate our brains and make us think in a different way, including me. This podcast has shifted the way I have thought as well. And if there's anything that you took away from this episode or any other episode, I would be so honored and grateful if you would share that with me on social media, either through a personal message or put it in your Instagram story, tag autoimmune tribe, and know that we're in this together, that this is truly a community, that our paths are interwoven for a reason, and that we get this beautiful opportunity to come together for the greater healing of all of our unique bodies. So if you loved this episode or any of the other episodes of the Healing Uncensored podcast, please share them with a friend, a loved one, an acquaintance. You never, never know whose life you might be impacting or changing with just a simple share. That's all for now, tribe. I will see you next time. Have a beautiful rest of your day. I love you so much.